Hi guys, my name is Frank Chaparro, Senior Correspondent at The Block. You might know me as Frankie Scoops or Fintech Frank, but hopefully now you'll get to know me as the host of The Block's new podcast called The Scoop, made especially for decision makers and thrill seekers in the crypto market. Each week, I, along with one of my cohorts here at The Block, will talk with CEOs, innovators, and builders across the crypto market. Coinbase is probably the poster child for crypto trading in the U.S. Recently, the 800-person firm has been going through a ton of changes. Its CTO and head of institutions recently announced their respective departures, and the firm wound down a operation in Chicago. Emily Cho, who was brought on to lead M&A for the firm in 2018, has been slowly rising through the ranks during the shifted period at the San Francisco company. She now leads the firm's international business, M&A, venture, she joined myself and Mateo Leibowitz on this episode of The Scoop, in which we examine how Coinbase makes deals, why she's bullish on its earn platform, and whether the firm will end up diving into the booming derivatives market. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app in the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to start supporting Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH payments to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. It's also a favorite of the block analyst, Steven Zhang. He uses Cash App when he goes to Chipotle and gets money back. He saves every time he eats a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. You can also use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, as I said, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, and Dunkin' Donuts. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to The Scoop. We have a very special episode today. We are off-site for Consensus 2019. Well, maybe I shouldn't even plug Consensus. I should plug Atomic Swap, our, our conference that's tomorrow. But in any respect, I'm sitting across the table from Emily Choi from Coinbase. She is their head of mergers and acquisitions. She leads the international business. She just practically has like, I think, 30 job titles at this point, and we're going to dive into every single one of them today. And I'm joined by Matteo Leibowitz, our, our genius and Ethereum head, and we're very excited to dive into this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I guess the best place to start probably would be you know, your job. Again, I was joking about it in the intro, but y- you have taken on a ton of new responsibilities with the exit of uh, Balaji and... Um, already, you know, leading massive, uh, important parts of the business. So tell us a little bit about what your role is and, and, and sort of what you're responsible for. Yeah. Uh, the core job I came in to do was to, uh, lead Corp Dev, which is M&A. Um, I also run all the business functions related to that, including business development, which is partnerships. Uh, I launched our ventures, uh, portfolio, which we've done about 50 investments there over the past year. Um, I run business operations and strategy, which helps the company kind of scale and build the right business process. Um, Data, international, and institutional coverage are the other things under my mandate. So Mm -hmm. these were not necessarily things that I owned from day one, but um, one of the things that I think is coolest about Coinbase is just that you you can take on more and more responsibility as you prove yourself. And so it's been fun 
growing those different functions um, over over time. Which one do you think you have your hands on the most, right? Because if, if you're covering that many business lines, I imagine you have to delineate responsibilities. You can't be involved in sort of day-to-day decision-making, mm-hmm. but what, is there any particular business that is the one you're involved in the most? I probably spend the most hands-on time on things related to biz ops because we're growing so fast and we, we 3X'd last year and when that happens so fast, things break. So you have to think about like, how do you implement new processes for people to set goals or how do we think about communicating better now that we've gone from 200 people to more than 700 people? Um, and then how do we think about prioritizing different goals? Like when, when we have a bunch of different opportunities ahead of us, the hardest thing is actually to figure out how do, how do you stack rank those things and focus. Mm-hmm. So that's where I spend a lot of time. And then obviously on the corp dev side, we've been really active. We've done, you know, 15 plus aqua hires and acquisitions. And so, um, that's another area that I spend a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. Let's focus in on venture first. Yeah. Um, 50 deals you guys have been involved in. What, and, and relatively a late entrance into, into, into the space. I mean, you guys launched the venture arm a year ago. Um, how do you get in on deals? How do you move and elbow your way in? And, and what distinguishes a good project to invest in from, from a bad one? I would actually argue we were early in the sense that I think we were the first crypto company to launch a ventures fund. Um, and, and so one of the cool things about Coinbase is that we have a, a lot of great Coinbase alums, um, who, ha, who are going to found companies. That's something Brian loves is entrepreneurial DNA within the company. And so he, he, well, we never want people to leave those who do leave to found companies. He's, he gets really excited about. And so oftentimes those are, that's a great source of, of, uh, investments for us. And then our network is so rich because, you know, we have people in the ecosystem, friends of the family, like people like Olaf and others who are seeing interesting things. So, so we're constantly connecting with with different folks in the space and like finding out what's what's interesting. Um, what's interesting about Coinbase Ventures is we don't actually have any dedicated team. We're super scrappy, so it's a group of people who are doing it as kind of a side job. We have we all have day jobs, and this is something that's a privilege to work on in your extra time. Did you know that? Um, I did not. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so it's it's really cool. And if you look at our portfolio, how I would can, argue, can anyone just like say no. I want to be a part of it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, we kind of targeted um, the crypto, really crypto forward people at the company who 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 have great connections in the space. Uh, people who love to already just reach out to the different projects in the space that they find interesting, and we're already doing that. That that's gotcha. the type of profile I'm looking for internally. So, does the buck stop with you in terms of? Making an investment, we we vote on we vote on every investment as okay. a, as a team. Oh, I see, I see, I see. What what has been something that you know, it, it, like it, just trying to break down your philosophy, so to speak. Um, a lot of VC people. When I was a business insider, I would interview tons of venture capitalists about like how they go about investing in companies. Sometimes it's the people that's like paramount. Other times it's business model, et cetera. What, when, when you're investing in this market, what is the absolute number one thing that a company has to show or represent for you to make that investment or even to consider them? Yeah, to have um, an amazing team is, is foundational. So like, assume that, that that's something that we care about m- most because an amazing team will figure things out in the same way that like Stuart Butterfield, you know, 
developed a startup that was focused on gaming that didn't work out and then he spun it into Slack. So like if you if you invest in amazing founders, they will figure something out even if it's not immediately. Um, but then I think the, the way we think about the types of companies we invest in, one is, are they potentially helping us achieve our mission of creating an open financial system for the world? So companies such as Compound or Dharma or Cello that are doing interesting things in DeFi are, are obvious fits for us. We love things that are strategic adjacencies too that might be like things that we want to touch down the line but don't necessarily have a great handle on right now. So things like security token companies and things like that. Um, we also have very different to traditional Silicon Valley style investing is um, because this is such like a, I think, an open community and ecosystem, we actually mm -hmm. invest in competitors. So we've invested, for example, in several competitors of Coinbase Wallet. Um, I think we don't have a monopoly on good ideas and perhaps some of these other companies are going to figure out cool, innovative approaches. Yeah, like to you wallets. guys invested in staked and then two or three weeks yeah. after that yeah. investment was announced, you yeah. guys launched your own sort of offering that completely rivals it. Well, and, and I think like we don't know how this space is going to play out, right? So we're, we always are upfront with these different companies about like, hey, we obviously are going to launch or have a competitive offering, but if you're open to it, we'd love to participate. And hopefully we can both coexist in a way that just brings the whole ecosystem forward without us feeling like there's some like very tiny piece of pie that we can all fight over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what, how do you go about getting in on a deal that you might not have access to? Like, what does the deal pipeline look like? And does uh, Coinbase have a good, you know, access to, to it? I think we have incredible access because of the Coinbase Alumni Network. We have, if you think about the three most important non-corporate venture funds in crypto, I'm, there's many, but but three of the, the, the foremost are going to be... Um, uh, Fred Arsums, Polychain, and, and, and A16Z. So those are all people that we're you know, intimately in contact with and work with very often. And so um, we've got that. But actually, most of the time, we already know these people. It's just they're, they're either, whether they're in our backyard or we're interacting or we're talking about partnering, we, we, we feel like we have access to the best and the brightest in the community. Um, occasionally, I think the only pushback I, I've ever really gotten is just, do, do people really want a strategic investor because of that competitive issue? And I'm always like, well, if, if we can get comfortable with it, hopefully you can. And that's, that's, that's been the only time that we've ever gotten any resistance. Otherwise, people are pretty open. As, so, so you definitely see a lot of the same crypto funds, you know, the A16s, mm -hmm. Paradigms, Panteras, mm -hmm. participating in the same deals. Yep. How do you see these funds distinguishing themselves in the in the VC market over the long term, you know, um, you should actually have a segment where they talk about their different approaches. But I, I think that you're seeing um, that they have different visions of potentially where the world might be going, right? And so, um, I think Paradigm's first investment was Starkware, which A16Z didn't participate in. And I actually don't know the thesis as to why one of them did and one of them didn't and things like that. But what, what I find interesting is that um, you're, you're actually seeing some of, some, of the firm, some of these core firms just not participate in the same deals, which I actually think is super healthy. Like, I think it's healthy that different people have different theses because none of us know exactly how the space is going to play out. So, um, but I, I think it would be interesting to host them and, and see what they have to do say. Do you think them. that there's like, 
I look at some of the deals, or at least the announcements, when, when I get hit up by public relations firms about a $1 million fundraise, and there's 70 firms, it seems, on the deal with all these party rounds. Do you think that because all these hedge funds in 2018 pivoted to VC, that now we're in a space where there's just too much fun, happy money floating around, and it's driving up valuations, or do valuations look reasonable? Uh, valuations are definitely healthy. Okay. Um, and so even when crypto prices were were quite down, we weren't seeing much fluctuation in in the prices of the the private companies that were raising funds. Um, and I actually think it's 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 a good barometer of like the fact that the 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 venture funds that are investing in these things believe in the long term vision of this stuff. Like they're not going to get hung up on on short term prices, and they'll go ahead and bid up those most valuable assets with the best teams and technology. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, so for example, we, we primarily only do seed rounds. So when you see like 10 different investors listed and we're on that, it's, it's probably because like out of a million dollar round, we've done a hundred to 200 K. And so by, by their, it's very nature, it's just going to be a number of different funds. The, uh, the deal that really sticks out to me on that front was Starkware. Mm-hmm. So they raised $30 million in a Series A. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that's a natural size for a Series A deal? I think for really high-quality tech, that team is is pretty darn good. Um, you can say damn. <laughs> pretty damn good. <laughs> we'll edit um, that out. I, I, I think it's a, it's a strong team. Um, we also we want to experiment with with partnering with them and, and playing around with their technology for scaling. And so um, to me... That's a that's a I'm a happy to pay that price given where that company could go. What is it? What does that company do? Um, they have a they have several different offerings, but it's uh, you know based around this uh, stock technology. What is privacy stock technology? technology and oh, I scaling see. Scaling tech- technology gotcha, as well. Gotcha. It's very interesting that you said you, you're interested in um, partnering with them. Does that mean that Coinbase is going to you know go the Binance route and and launch a decentralized exchange of their own? Haven't they? Don't they have a decentralized exchange? They they did you go guys. live. Oh, us. Yeah. So we acquired Paradox yeah, um, right. for decentralized exchange. I think the decentralized exchange space. It's going to be interesting to watch it play out. I, I think it has a lot of potential. Um, obviously, you know, we are the um, fiat to bridge, fiat bridge, fiat to crypto bridge. Sorry. We're the fiat to crypto bridge, and we play a different role than others in the space in terms of trying to be the safe, trusted center of the crypto economy. And we have to make sure that if we offer a DEX, that it we're doing it in a way that is safe and secure and compliant. And I think that there's not a lot of clarity right now on, sure. on, on how that would work. So we think the space is interesting. We're not actively... Investing it right at this point. Let's let's pivot to let's talk about you know the elephant in the room, CZ and Binance and mm-hmm. you guys have been aggressively wouldn't say it's a pivot but you guys are definitely trying to go after uh, some of their business in Asia and internationally and, and pick away at their their mounting volumes. Mm. Um, how do you do that? How do you do that? What what do those customers want that Binance has that Coinbase can either replicate or improve on? Yeah. So first of all, I'll say 
we love what Binance is doing. And, and I mean that very genuinely. Like, I think that there's going to be a massive pie for all of us to go after. And we welcome competition like them in the space because they're innovating constantly. They're pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And they're just, they're creating awareness for the the overall crypto market, which, which we welcome. Um, but we couldn't probably be more differentiated than them in terms of the focus on the fiat to crypto bridge and being that safe, trusted uh, center of the crypto economy. So I think um, they're playing one game, we're playing another. I think we'll both have great, frothy, lucrative businesses that we can build upon. And um, we, we we welcome them. When it, when it, sorry, just so, so taking it back a step, um, Coinbase Ventures has stakes in, in Dharma now, Compound, UMA. Um, do you think that these open finance applications can attract interest beyond the retail market? Um, and what are the main obstacles to institutional participation uh, in these venues? Um, w- you know, what we do is we watch activity happening in the decentralized financial space. And actually, we think of it oftentimes the first the first user we think about is the active trader on Coinbase Pro for a lot of these different applications. Um, and if you see the activity that's happening in things like margin, borrow, lend, derivative, like constructs that are happening on, on other platforms, there's a lot of activity and there's there's a lot of revenue being generated. We are never going to be the place where there's like a hundred x leverage, right? Like we're we're not going to offer a casino to our our users because um, when we're playing with people's money, we're going to be a lot more careful with it. What about five x leverage? That feels reasonable. That mm-hmm. that that would be more the game that we would play. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like back to this whole safe, safe, trusted center that we would think about ways to offer those different types of um, you know services in a way that we feel like protects our users and mm-hmm. creates value for them. Is there any plan to introduce the the kinds of non-custodial features that these DEXs do offer? We're thinking about it. We, I mean, these are questions that we still have to explore with the regulators about what's appropriate and what's not. Um, and so we're trying to figure out whenever we do these, what is the lightest weight way possible to enter the market without having, um, you know, a bunch of onerous um you know, ways to, to deal with that. But I, th- I think clearly we think that that's a, a huge market and something that we would like to explore for sure. And, and sorry to, to drag on, but, um, you know, let's think 10 years ahead yep. um, and open these, these open finance protocols have taken off. Uh, they're seeing interest beyond retail. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for Coinbase's business model? Mm-hmm. So, the way I think about our business is we have the, the retail brokerage, we have the exchange, and we have the custodian. And we offer, we think about Coinbase.com as being accessible to everyone. We think about Coinbase Pro as being accessible to people who are active traders who want more advanced features. And then we think about offering services to institutions right now who are very crypto forward, right? And then over time, as more traditional institutions enter, we'll be offering more products and services to them. The things that are really taking off on the institutional front for us are OTC and custody. And so that's where we're doubling down right now. Um, we were hitting some pretty great numbers on the custody front, and we just launched OTC, and that's, that's doing great as well. 
Um, the way that we differentiate is if you think about the fact that we can offer OTC trading out of custody as opposed to just a pure custodian. Those are things when, when we can offer a suite of services that others can't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. Um, we've talked about what venture looks like. We talked about how you approach some of the deal making you're involved in. We've talked about um, new products, new markets that Coinbase might dive into. Let's let's shift gears a little bit and think about at the micro level, like what it's like to be you mm-hmm. and your experience at Coinbase. There's been a lot of, you know, changes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. in the headlines, you can see, you know, teams winding down different. You know, whether it's the index fund a year ago or or last year, or the Chicago team, or scaling back on the institutional front and then expanding into new areas internationally and and with you know USDC um, people coming and going. How do you? You know, it's this massive firm now. We were talking about before we kind of turned on the mics. How do you sort of manage um, all this change? And like, how do you how do you deal with it? Like, is you know, do you meditate? Like, do you? <laughs> what does it look like? I, I I would love to try to meditate. I, don't, I, don't <laughs> um, I think, and like when people. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Yeah. But I feel like it might be easy for people to look at that all these changes and think, geez, like. What what's going on there? Like what the hell? Yeah, I come back to we've gone through this period of hypergrowth, and so you know we have had the benefit of having a company that got to grow really really quickly, and with that comes a lot of change. There are people who are going to be better suited for the zero to one phase of Coinbase, and there are people who who are going to be better suited for the next phase of Coinbase. I'm one of those people, right? Because I, I've been at slightly bigger companies. I, I was at LinkedIn when it was 400. I left when it was 13,000 people. So um, we we want people who want to be here now, and we celebrate the people who have contributed to getting it from zero to one and who want to go found their own companies. I also think when you go through hypergrowth, you spin up a lot of products that seem really interesting. And, and you know better than anybody that this market is really dynamic and moves really quickly. And certain things prove to be really, really great. And certain things just prove not to be great. And we're doing that at hyperspeed. So you see that at other tech companies, probably in slower motion. But the same exact dynamic happens with um, products just that... Can you think of a parallel work. when you were back at LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, there was like a, I mean, I'm not going to speak to this exact product, but there was a product that we were excited about launching and then we realized that it it it, it had potential privacy concerns and so we had built it up to this really interesting product feature, couldn't get comfortable with the data implications and mm-hmm. so we scrapped it. And those types of things are deflating for the product teams that are working on these different things, but you also learn a lot. Like I think one of the things, one of the values that I love about Coinbase is continuous learning. Like we make mistakes, we learn from them, and we hopefully don't repeat them in the future. Um, but I think you should always expect that product features we're not going to have, a, you know, a hundred percent hit rate on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think the biggest learning experience from winding down Chicago is? Um, it's probably that. We don't want to make a massive bet in a different geo with one 
only one product. So when I think about our other offices, such as New York and, and London um, and Japan and other offices, we have all sorts of functions working there. We have all sorts of verticals working there. And so you're just, you're not betting the farm on one thing. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever this, this kind of stuff, you know, impacts a bunch of employees, you feel really bad about how things ended. But um, I think ultimately for that too, it was like something that we had a thesis on. We realized that it, it wasn't pressure testing the way that we thought it might. And we, I think we mutually agreed that this was like the wrong thing to focus on given all of the other priorities we have right now. I remember one time I wrote a story about, I don't know if it was expanding into one of your offices, the most recent one, not Chicago, maybe it was Japan, but I wrote Coinbase also, and Elliot never lets me forget this, Coinbase <laughs> also has offices in in, in uh, New York, in uh, San Francisco, and Portugal <laughs> instead of Portland. <laughs> <laughs> we have the gorgeous oh, Lisbon and, office. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Coming soon. <laughs> Elliot's like, I wish we had an office in Portugal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think a great segue from Portugal to <laughs> <laughs> to um, to the Earn acquisition. I think it makes yeah, a lot that, of sense yeah, because of Portugal Earn. Yeah. Um, Mateo has a question about that. What what is it? I do have a question about that. Um, <laughs> the question being, what, what kind of returns uh, have you seen and, and do you expect to see from the uh, acquisition of earn.com? Mm -hmm. Especially now that uh, Balaji has left Coinbase. Mm -hmm. uh, is, was he kind of essential to, to the uh, continued progress they of that, everything they of could that out vertical? Of <laughs> First of all, I'll say um, working with Balaji has been truly one of the, the great pleasures of my career. Um, I have never worked with somebody who has both depth and breadth across so many different functions. And I think the benefit of that is that we got essentially the equivalent of, you know, five years of amazing work from an amazing person in crypto or an amazing technologist in crypto. Uh, it, it was just a delight working with him um, and we'll be friends for life. I think, you know, the earn so acquisition, sweet. it's, it's true. It's, it's like right from the bottom of my heart. Um, so the earn acquisition, I think we can very confidently say, and I think the board and the management team would agree with this like 100%, is that the earn acquisition basically like more than paid for itself uh, multifold in the course of this year. And I think that we're going to continue to see massive amounts of value from it. I don't necessarily think the, the ecosystem understands the value yeah, of it how? yet. How do, how do you... Yeah. So um, if you think about the fact that like we're currently in what we think of as the investment phase of crypto, which is a lot of speculation and things that, you know, are, are speculation oriented, we all want to drive to more of a utility phase of crypto, right? Where people find crypto actually useful and understand how to use it. And the genius of Earn was that you get these Earn drops and then you're able to take a learning and development course about these different assets and then you get the earn drop in your account. So you're getting paid for learning about these different assets, which to me is like so uh, uniquely cool about crypto and what we can do to bring bring everything forward. Um, so we're seeing amazing engagement from the initial earn drops, and we continue to integrate that deeply with, with the consumer experience first. 
You guys kind of, as part of the stellar airdrop, which was like $125 million, my understanding, my understanding of the strategy was, let's drop this on, on two different customer sets. One that, you know, they're super hyper-engaged um, and one that, and folks that maybe haven't engaged in the platform for a while to sort of A-B test, like, yeah. how those sort of influences can, can change behavior. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if that's exactly precise, but yeah, I'd like to know what the strategy was and how it played out. Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, we have an amazing data team. We're going to keep A-B testing every one of our products, but you can imagine a world where with earn drops, we want to be able to continually test, like, is this better for existing customers? Is this a great customer acquisition tool to get new customers? Mm-hmm. Like, what are those different things? We're, Does we're, it work to get new customers? We're playing around with that. Yeah. We, we certainly see engagement from existing customers. Mm-hmm. So these are like this is all in this very early phase, but the initial test results have been really, really promising. So like I, I think I personally think this is going to be one of the big things and levers that that moves us forward. I'm I'm super bullish on our really. Yeah. So like, is it you know just as important as trading and custody when we think about like the big aspects of the business it bolsters both trading and custody in the sense that if you're educated about the assets you're going to probably buy and hold them in some way and and use them in some way speaking of balance and earn.com uh, so earn.com uh, used to be 21co which was a kind of personal mining uh, type company Coinbase Ventures recently invested in CoinMine, which mm-hmm. is a, a similar concept. Uh, 21Co had to kind of pivot to earn.com because uh, this idea of retail mining didn't, didn't quite take off. And um, Seems so dumb. That's not the direction I was going in. My, my question was, you know, how, how has kind of the, the retail mining landscape changed between uh, the time when uh, Balaji was leading 21Co to, to now where we have uh, CoinMine coming up where uh, you, you think it will be a successful investment? Actually, Balaji is the one who referred CoinMine for the investment. Yep. So um, he was he was the biggest proponent of them, probably because he knows that space so so intimately. Um, but I think one of the, the like like stepping back a bit, I think one of the, the dynamics that he and I have talked about quite a bit is the funny thing about crypto is like something sometimes something takes off, then it kind of goes away, and then it takes off in a bigger way. Um, and so, like, I think I'm not saying that you know personal mining is one of those things. I, I don't know enough about that space to, to be able to comment on it. But I would say that, like, I think that that di- dynamic is really interesting in crypto. It's like you've got these like things where like maybe the first instantiation doesn't work as well, and then mm-hmm. later on it comes back rip roaring because people figured out how to offer it in the right way, or it was just the better timing. Sure, I think I think um, we're actually seeing that right now with DAOs. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we had the DAO in 2016, which didn't end particularly well, mm-hmm. and now we have Moloch DAO, which uh, you know is about to pass a million dollars mm-hmm. in their treasury. Um, you were you were you were talking earlier how you kind of have hands in, in various different pies across. Um, that's a English saying. I'm I hope yeah. <laughs> 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 so, maybe you guys haven't heard of that one. She so. loves pie. <laughs> it's just, Apple, cherry, yeah. banana pie. Uh, you you wear various different hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, there we go. At Coinbase. There we go. There we go. Um, so uh, 
you know, presumably there isn't this kind of strict firewall between the Coinbase Ventures team and the uh, exchange team. Um, do you mm. think there's perhaps a, a, a possibility for conflict, conflict of, interest of interest to arise mm. when it comes to uh, you know the exchange's decision to list various different tokens? It's a really important question, and it's something we take really seriously. Um, so we have, I would argue, probably the strictest rules in place about you know Chinese walls between venture decisions and listing, um, and even I mean you'd be surprised how how people who are on the digital asset listing committee will recuse themselves from the tiniest bit of connection or anything. So I think we have a really good policy in place. Uh, we have like an exceptional GC who comes from traditional finance and, and made sure that we had that in place. And I, I feel really comfortable with the way we've implemented it. Great. And, um, you know, it, so when you at LinkedIn, it, it was presumably kind of more traditional M&A mm -hmm. activity. Uh, many of the projects that, that you're investing in today, I presume on the on the equity side of things, also have this uh, you know liquid token component uh, that you know eventually trades on secondary markets. So, how have you adapted your investment process to to account for this kind of hybrid public private uh, structure? Yeah. So this goes back to the integrity of the process. We actually have not invested in tokens to date. So we've only invested in traditional equity uh, just, just to keep things really clean. There are no kind of uh, SAFT There deals. are no SAFT deals, okay, yeah. So UMA, Correct. you have no rights to the UMA tokens. So, so, so what, what I would say is we reserve the right to be able to do that in the future, but to date, we've only invested in vanilla equity just, just to be super careful. And we, we want to just make sure that we have a really good handle on how the um, universe is evolving before we make any decisions on the token front. But yeah, that's, that's when we've done it. Sure. When you were brought on, I mean, the idea and the headlines that I saw was, you know, this rock star M&A person going to come on to just do a deal spree. Um, do you think the mandate that you were brought on for Obviously, your role has changed, but specifically on on deals, um, has that mandate changed at all? Um, have you have you have you been successful in your opinion, and and what that might have been? Yeah, I think um, yes, we've been very successful. It, honestly, I think Brian's happiest moments are seeing founders and entrepreneurs who are building products at Coinbase. And I think we offer them a really unique perch because they are able to drive and build amazing products that can serve our you know, massive user base. Um, and they are going to get positions that give them a lot of autonomy and freedom to be able to kind of flex. So... We, I, I think I mentioned, I think we've done something like 15 plus acquisitions and acquihires. We don't announce all of them. Um, but when I think about the people who are doing the impactful work at the company, so many of them have come from these acquihires and acquisitions. They were working on problems that were very similar to the things that we're trying to solve at larger scale. And so they like come in and they're just ready to kick ass and, and they're doing an amazing job. So we're, we're really happy about it. And if anything, I would say, Brian wants to put more gas on and just make sure that we're continuing to accelerate the pace at which we're bringing in great crypto talent and technology. What do you, what do you think some of the next big deals will be like in what areas of the market? Yeah. Um, so I think our bread and butter will continue to be what I call um, 
talent and technology tuck-ins. So that includes acquihires, but it also includes like maybe um, I'm making this up, but like for example, if somebody is doing some amazing thing in staking that we haven't yet built and they just started building it and they have a proof of concept and then we want to bring that in and, and help them rebuild it because they've already been thinking about that problem forever. Um, that's perfect. Like that is perfect when they're already working on the things that we want to solve. Um, and then I think, you know, at some point there are going to be things that we want to consolidate. I think there's going to be business, real business opportunities that we want to consolidate, you, particularly on the institutional side. You can imagine a world where um, the things that we're doubling down on, including custody, are areas that we want to think about for M&A. Um, Do you and, think you'd ever buy another exchange? Possibly. Um, I, th I think I feel really good about where we're going with that business. And so if we, f if we feel like it really helps us in some meaningful way um, to get more liquidity or something, I, I, can, I can see that happening. I just feel like it has to happen because yeah. va like your valuations are insane. I mean, when you think about what you trade and what your valuation is, all, all exchanges in crypto relative to capital markets like NASDAQ, I think, you know, trades equities, futures, you know, millions and millions a day and they're valued at 14 billion. Mm -hmm. you, you know, we have a crypto market that's $210 billion of, 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 of uh, you know, of a, of a market and your valuation's 8 billion. Um, I feel like just, just by virtue of that, maybe I'm talking about it, talking <laughs> out of my ass. I don't know. I, I think crypto is, is, is a growth place though. Like I, I, I think I would hate to be compared to a traditional exchange because we're so different. How in so would many you ways. compare it? I mean, you're the you're the M and A person. Like, how would you model it? Or you know, I mean, I always look for like growth you, yeah. growth businesses over traditional mature businesses, and I love the idea that in crypto, for example, I, I was mentioning before that we are a brokerage, an exchange, and a custodian. That that doesn't exist in the offline world. So I think there's like. As much as you want to, you know, make analogies between us and, and and traditional finance, like I actually find the comparisons are less relevant these days. So Coinbase actively promotes this idea of, uh, you know, an open financial system. That's really the the Coinbase motto, if anything. Uh, so so and 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 recently, you know, within the the crypto sphere, there's been a lot of discussion around uh, relaxing accredited investor rules. What are your thoughts around around that, and 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 do you think that opening the private market up to retail would actually lead to uh, retail investors capturing value, or do you think professional VCs would would continue to dominate that market? Yeah, I think a lot of questions. No, and and I think that this is going to be a huge area of opportunity. I just don't know what the timing might be like and what the steps to that might look like. Right. So, um, do you think it's a good idea? Though? Of course, to make make cap tables accessible to a much broader swath of people who want to get access to them. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I think that that is, that day is going to happen. Um, I think in terms of, you know, I, I'm not sure, were you going down the line of like KYC or were you going down the line of like a certain threshold of assets that an investor, an accredited investor would have a, a threshold of assets. Okay. So, so yeah. Right now yeah. The threshold is a yeah. million dollars. Yeah. So listen, like I, I'm, I'm all for as long as the, investor knows what they're getting into because again we're touching people's money and that's a, you know it's a big deal um i don't know what the right notifications and 
all that kind of stuff is. I, I, I don't, I haven't thought about the details of that, but I think that's very much in line with the vision of the open financial system, making things accessible to everyone. And how about this? Would you be open to uh, retail investors sitting on the Coinbase cap table? I think that that is, that's going to be one of the bazillion dollar questions for us as a company. Do we want to, um, do we want to go public someday on the blockchain, you know, on our own exchange because we have a broker dealer? Is that something that we would want to do? For sure. Something that we, we need to think about. And then obviously we're watching the Binance coin as well and, and trying to understand what's happening there because it's, it's, it's obviously very appealing for their users to be able to participate in that and, and own that. And I think it frankly creates a lot of loyalty to Binance. So it's definitely something we're thinking about, but we have no fully big thoughts on it and we, we want to be careful about that. Sure. Why do you want to be careful about it? Because like the idea of offering equity um, or, or going public is something it's like it, it's a very complicated decision that has many implications and we've got a lot of other stuff to do. To me, like the idea of going public is a tactic. It's not an actual strategy unto itself. And it's it's a way, um, for example, as, a, as an M&A person, I love the idea of being able to use public stock to do acquisitions and things like that. Um, but I also want to make sure, having been at LinkedIn during the the private to public phase, it's a lot of work, and it's something that, you know, frankly, like, do we want to spend our time courting public investors all the time? Probably not. We want mm-hmm. to be building the business. Mm-hmm. When it comes to to Binance and and Binance Coin, is that something you would ever consider listing on Coinbase? I think we always want to have openness to listing things on our exchange no matter what if users really want it and if it's a safe secure asset and that would include that sure what about leo no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> who knows and yeah the, uh, maybe you know the the next kind of obvious step is to move into the derivatives market um what does the i, I presume there's already a roadmap what we kind of talked about that before don't we Did you we? guys are eyeing potentially entering that market margin lend borrow is yeah. definitely going to be a, a next big step for us especially on the active trader side that'll be the the that clear clear demand for that futures and options yeah. that you know we still need to figure out because there's not a lot of regulatory clarity there right now in the u.s and so that that is being discussed mm-hmm. well we have you know there's a fairly vibrant uh futures market uh, yeah, I mean, CME, CME right? had a fifty percent increase, uh, and they, but but they the have the right licenses yeah. that exist, and those licenses take months to get. So that's CFTC. Yeah, there there's other licenses for derivatives that DMO DCO exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know my licenses. <laughs> yeah, clearly. I'm the derivative. I don't even king. have a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great place to end. No, I'm kidding. Um, let's, let, before we wind down, because I, I see uh, we've only got a few minutes left, um, you've had a very interesting career. What, 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 when you look back on it, are you most proud of? Um, the people I've got to work with. I, I have had the great fortune of being at places where I'm really inspired by the people I work with. So 
one of the th- things I absolutely love about Corp Dev and Ventures is um, I get to be exposed to great founders. Like that, that's my happy place when I just get to be around great technologists because I'm I'm the ultimate partner to them on the business side. I'm not nearly as creative as them, and so just being around them makes me happy. Um, and so when you think about my whole career, whether you know I started at Yahoo back when Yahoo was the epicenter of all the technology activity and consumer internet. Um, those people all ended up doing amazing things. And, you know, people, whether I worked with them or not, it's, you know, Jan Coombe and Brian Acton on, on WhatsApp and Stuart Butterfield on Slack and Jeff Weiner, whom I worked with at LinkedIn, um, Brad Garlinghouse, who's now at Ripple. Like there, there's just a lot of great people that I've worked with through my career. And I love to see what they're doing now because, um, you know, just talent continues to to come from these places where people had to like, be innovative and figure out solutions to things when there were a lot of ups and downs. Um, and so I've learned from them and then I've been able to hopefully take those lessons with me as I've built out my own practice. Interesting. And, and do you ever see yourself um, starting something of your own, whether that's a, a fund or a, a, a venture? I think that like everything's open for, for, for all that kind of stuff. I would say like I'm not... I'm not going to be the founder who comes up with like the brilliant creative idea and technology. I'm I'm not an engineer and I'm not a product person. You're like our McCaffrey, executing things. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm I'm the perfect partner to those people. Exactly. So like that's what I love to do, and um, whatever company that might be, that that's the stuff that makes me energized. Great. Well, next time you have a big deal. Come back on and we can I talk shall. about it. I shall. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having it. me. Thanks everyone Super for fun. listening. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one in finance on the App Store for almost two years. It was the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin. And it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfer to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Dunkin', local coffee shops, and a whole lot more. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. 